Lipstick is my little trademark. It is funny because, you know, I don't need to wear makeup, but if I have my red lipstick, in this case, it's a little tinge of tangerine I've got on today. I just think that it just makes it pop, but it also makes me feel like, yeah, I'm ready. to the Kill Women podcast. I'm your host, business mentor and personal brand strategist on a mission to inspire a minimum of five people a day to take action, do something different and show up as the best person that they aspire to be. Are you one of my five a day? Keep all your messages coming. Let me know on Instagram at Kelly Lundberg Official and let me know what you've been inspired by. Was it something on this episode? Keep them coming. It makes my day and it makes my guest day knowing that it has had such an impact. Thank you in advance for being one of my five a day. If you haven't already, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help secure even more guests to come on the show and it just takes a couple of minutes. Tell me which episode you like and it just draws more attention and more credibility. And in this episode, I speak to one of my clients, Jennifer Crows. Now, she is a conservation scientist, communicator, collaborator and catalyst. A documentary filmmaker who specialises in really blending business experience, because she's been in the corporate world previously, marketing and communication skills with the conservation science. Now, she really focuses on looking at the link between human behaviour with the relationship to nature. She is so passionate about the illegal wildlife trade, and we talk about this in the podcast. Um, She's got a hugely inspiring story, one that I know you're absolutely going to love. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. It's great to have you. We've been talking about this for a couple of months now. You're one of my clients. Yes. And I have loved learning about your journey over the past, what should we say, 20, 30 years? The evolutions that we've had? 20 years. 20 years, 20 years. So why don't you give everyone a little bit of a backstory as to who you are and kind of what's brought you to the Middle East? Thank you, Kelly, and great to be here. So yeah, I'm a conservation scientist, adventurer, explorer, evolving human being. And I guess what brought me to the Middle East was an opportunity to work with Emirates Nature WWF, so within the WWF network. Um, I've been with the World Wildlife Fund for Nature for quite some time, but now I'm a freelance conservation consultant, science communicator, public speaker, you name it, I do it. You wear so many hats. And this is the one thing as we've mm. been working through the sort of the personal brand journey, you yes. know, how do we get people to understand everything that you're actually truly capable of doing, but put it in a way that's quite, I say, simple, because you've done things like, what are some of the projects that you've worked on? Well, first and foremost, I did actually come from a corporate background and I decided to give that all up and move to the Amazon basin in 2005, where I guess I had my epiphany and my first evolution or my first journey of change, where I was rescuing wildlife from the illegal wildlife trade. So in this case, I was working with pumas and toucans and spider monkeys, you name it, to try and rehabilitate them for the chance for them to be rewilded back into their natural environment. And through that, I guess that's taken me on the journey I am now where I've worked at a orangutan rehabilitation center in Borneo. I've rescued a species from extinction in Bali. I've worked with um, Tasmanian devils and cassowaries in Australia. And, but I specialize in illegal wildlife trade, which I guess is not as common as, you know, most scientists would talk about. Absolutely not. So 
how did you get into this? Well, you did you wake up one morning and go, I'm going to go to the Amazon. Like, what <laughs> Actually, happened? It, it was like that. Was it? I, yes. I think, you know, you go through changes in your life. And yes, I, I had a great time working as a management consultant. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you really need to feel truthful and authentic to your values, you know, and I just didn't feel like I was living them. Yeah. So I decided that I wanted to change. I wanted to make a difference in the world. Of course, you know, I was really grateful for all the opportunities and, and the foundation that consulting has given me. And that, I guess, makes me a little bit a rare endangered species, as I often call myself, <laughs> because I'm able to leverage and utilize my business and management yeah. skills in a NGO world. Mm. So you decided literally then one day, right enough, this, isn't, this job isn't fitting with me. This role yeah. doesn't fit who Jennifer is now. And you go to the Amazon. So yeah. did you have experience of dealing with? No. So you just went there? <laughs> I, I basically, of I course. Don't, I'm trying I know, to work it, out this It's sort of so point. odd, right? But it is true. One day I just woke up and you know what? I'm just going to book a trip to South America. It was always on my bucket list. You yeah. know, you've got these bucket destinations. Absolutely love that, yeah. South America was one of them. Antarctica was one. We'll talk about that later. But I decided to just go with it. But I wanted to do something purposeful, impactful. So I found a voluntary uh, volunteering organization and that's sort of where it started. Wow. I just took myself there. First, I went to the Galapagos. I did some touristy things to prepare myself, learn Spanish. Okay. And then I found myself literally in the Amazon bases in Bolivia. So it's sort of harboring um, Brazil as well. And that's where I started to work with pumas and all those other animals. And Really, it really was, I guess, that, that epiphany, that, that leap of faith that I took has, has brought me to where I am today. Because and- I think a lot of people there, just on that thought, mm-hmm. a lot of people will be like, wow, I'd never have the, the confidence mm-hmm. or the, the, the belief in myself to do it. So maybe talk me through some of the things that you were thinking at the time. Was it like, well, do you know what, one day I can always come back and work in my consulting sure. job? Or what, what were the thoughts that were going through? Exactly that, actually. I mean, I was confident in myself that I had the skill set. So I just needed to figure out, you know, like find myself, really. I think, yeah. you know, we, if we don't find ourselves, how can we live our true, authentic life? So I knew that no matter what, I'd be able to go back to what I knew if I needed to. And so what ended up happening is when I did return one year later, because I did travel all around, was that I decided to work for six months, save all my money and do what I needed to do and obviously yeah. stick within that comfort zone. But then I would volunteer six months of my life as well at at these organizations, such as the Orangutan Rehabilitation Center, Mm -hmm. such as being sent by the Australian government to work in Bali to be able to, I guess, gain all of those skills from on the ground, in the field that I didn't yet have. And that sort of led me to then being sort of recognized, who's this crazy lady? We want to hire her. And that's my, where my journey with WWF Australia started working yeah. with Earth Hour. Yeah, that was one of your first projects. That, that was one of my for. first projects, which is obviously one of the biggest mass mobilization events to raise awareness of climate change. So this is way back. It started in Australia in 2007. Mm-hmm. I joined in 2009 to make it to help assist make it go global, but really I guess change that mindset that it isn't just about turning off your electricity and so mm. forth for one hour. It is actually about looking at the environment, environmental footprint and the choices that we make each and every day. I remember Earth Hour, but it was always at the Dubai World Cup. There was always a big, the, the hour. Yes. Because it's always the last Saturday. It is the last Saturday in March. of March, correct. Yeah, which and is the Dubai World Cup. 
Oh, right. Okay, yeah, the horse well, racing. this was, I was still living in Australia back then. Yeah. But it was around, you know, raising that awareness and get people to sort of think about the decisions that they make every day. But, you know, the difficult thing is people think that by just turning off your lights and switching and, and having a candlelit dinner, that's going to, you know, have an impact on climate change. Of course not. But I guess it was a start. It was, it's probably one of the biggest public participation events that's ever been created. And, wow. and you know, it's gone live in, oof, I don't know how many countries, over 70. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud to have been part of that. And I guess that is where I really learned the skills and the capabilities of campaigning and advocacy. Because, you know, you've got the the animal hat, mm-hmm. you've got the conservation hat, yes. and then you've also got, you know, studies, there's other aspects on what you do within, you know, there's other scopes of things that you're doing. Maybe you can explain that a little bit. Sure. I think I really focus on that, that stakeholder management and being that conduit between, I guess, the NGO, NGO world or the public and private sector, as well as with governmental entities. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, a lot of these conservation challenges that we're facing can not just be solved by, you know, one entity. It does require a commitment across all the sectors, including government. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself really navigating around having these conversations and being able to break down some of those scientific evidence into more, what would you say, approachable, palatable communication that is then able to be applied in, you know, passing new legislation or whatever it may be. It's like you you have this gift of being able to take something that's very serious mm-hmm. and, you know, having a huge impact on the world, but you're able to make it something that's tangible and easy for people to follow. And I think what I love about you as well is that you do it with style because <laughs> you are in the Amazon, you're in you're in places, whatever the world, and you're always saying, I make sure I've got my lipstick on. Oh, yes. Oh, Kelly, (laughs) lipstick is my little trademark. It is funny because, you know, I don't need to wear makeup, but if I have my red lipstick, in this case, it's a little tinge of tangerine I've got on today. (laughs) I just think that it just makes it pop, but it also makes me feel like, yeah, I'm ready. I don't know. I think it's it's something that I've picked up from my mum. She always just used to wear lipstick. But yeah, you know. (laughs) This is a there's a picture I think I've seen of you in the Antarctica with the, the fluffy hat and yeah. then you've got your lipstick oh, on yes. and I think there's some penguins <laughs> in the background or something. Well, you know, you never know who you're going to attract, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Maybe that will lead us on to telling okay. um, everyone a little bit about this project, which you are working on or you, well, you've just come back and you're going to, to go to the Antarctica mm-hmm. again. Maybe share a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I... I guess Antarctica is, is a bucket list destination for so many people. Oh, massively. Uh, you're, I'm there, you I'm, there. Well. I'm there, I'm there, I'm <laughs> there. And for me, it really has been that, you know, that last continent that I hadn't visited. Unfortunately, the reason why I was really focusing on that is that I've just recovered from breast cancer. And one of the things that I looked forward to and, and that really kept me going during those hard chemotherapy days was the ability to go to Antarctica and witness it with my own two eyes, smell the fresh air, you know, at the end of this, that difficult journey. And so I did book it. It was something that I looked forward to. So every week during chemo, I was reading up about Antarctica and, you know, I'm not a polar expert, but it's something that I've always, you know, wanted to sort of look into more. And I went just recently in February, just gone. And it was honestly a life-changing moment. I mean, they say Antarctica changes you, and that is not an exaggeration. It truly did. And since returning home, my mindset has changed. My The way that I see things has changed. So I, I don't know. There's something magical about it. I can't put words 
So maybe it. maybe share a little bit on the mindset piece because there's so many things that you've said in that that I'm right, I need to come back to that and that and sure, that. So sure. let's start with the mindset. What maybe has changed from that? I think, you know, you realize it, it's such that this vast white continent is just so beautiful and it mm. makes you realize for me, it made me realize because I started to, I guess, second guess, am I, is it time for another evolution? Do I need to maybe change careers? You know, when you work in conservation, it can be quite heavy. It can be quite a lot of doom and gloom. And I always believe in conservation optimism to keep it going. But it really does carry, you know, some kind of burden, as you said, to, to work on the science and to try and disseminate it. So I think for me, Antarctica gave me hope, that ability to say, you know, we, ha- we need to all work collectively together in order to save planet Earth. This pristine place is completely untouched. It really, truly is a place where animal wildlife still, there's no fear for humans because they haven't needed to fear. Galapagos was like that at one stage, but I guess that mindset of, you know, I want to continue working in this field. I want to make a difference. And I want to be able to share this magical moment with other people who may not be able to go there ever, Mm -hmm. or potentially may be able to join me on some of the trips that I'll be hosting next year. But the mindset was really about, you know, uh, carpe diem in sort of way, you know, live life to the fullest and make the most of it, no matter how many obstacles that you might have you know, experience. Yeah. And one of those trips is you're planning next year yes. to take people with you. So yes. if they want to find people listening to this or watching this going, wow, this sounds like a trip of a lifetime. And I would love to be part of this and the message and everything that you're doing. How can, how can they find out about it? Well, we are working on a, having a virtual information night, which yeah. will be posted on my Instagram. Um, and also on LinkedIn, with the view that we'll be able to um, invite people to come on a trip in March 2024 or at Christmas time 2024. But they'll definitely be able to attend for free at this virtual information night, which will be held on the 7th of June. Amazing. So what I wanted to kind of just go Mm -hmm. back on, because you mentioned it, it was just nearly like it was in passing in conversation, Mm -hmm. was your your breast cancer journey and everything, that the fact that you booked that trip and Mm -hmm. that was your one thing that you wanted to look through. And I, I, I... or the one thing that you wanted to look forward to. Sure. So I guess just kind of going back to that and talking a little bit about that, if you're okay. Of course, so of course. you were in this, you were in this space of, you know, I guess traveling the world, looking after endangered animals. Mm-hmm. And then how did you, you know, did you, was it a routine scan that it happened? Or? No, it was this big C called COVID-19 pandemic. Ah. <laughs> so I think we're all very familiar. We've all lived through COVID-19. And during that time, I wasn't able to do my regular scans. And I felt something wasn't right. You know, we always must listen to our own body and our our intuition. So I rang up the doctors and said, look, I think I just need to have a bit of a checkup. I'm not sure. And I've always had regular checks in Australia, but this one was way overdue. But as we all know, in 2020, none of this was was a priority, I guess, because everything was about, you know, tackling COVID-19 patients. So I finally did get a an appointment through. And on that day um, at, at King's College, which has been my hospital ever since I moved here. And literally on that day, I knew something wasn't right because we went from scans to biopsies. I had over 10 biopsies to then obviously your mammograms. And it became quite clear that something wasn't right. I mean, and know. did they tell you this or are no, you just trying to pe- pe- put the pieces you're together? You're just trying to put the pieces together because wow. obviously, you know, when you're having so many tests done, something isn't right. Mm-mm. And then, of course, it's that arduous wait for the results, which I believe it was just before my birthday in 2021. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those, those words of, you know, 
I'm sorry, you have cancer, will always ring true. And it's something that, you know, you never forget. But I think for me, of course, the initial shock was huge. But I decided to, well, you can either feel, I can feel sorry for myself or I can go and, you know, fight it. And I guess this goes back to mindset, right? Of course, I took some time to myself to really think about how am I going to tackle this? Because in this case, not only is it cancer, it's cancer during COVID. So you have the extra challenge of trying to, I guess, work through it on your own because, Mm. you know, we all had to be in quarantine. We couldn't have people around. Luckily, I have a great friend circle of friends here. But my family was separated for me. So and for a long time. because For a long time, two there. and a half years, I yeah. didn't see them. So yeah, I really took that, I guess, that choice of fighting it with mm-hmm. um, style. Yes, um, with, with your lipstick. With my lipstick. Good for you. I have many pictures. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the journey started pretty much immediately. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. But thank goodness the medical team at King's College really were incredible. I was their first cancer patient. Really? Always the first, right? You have to sort of navigate and it's like being the guinea pig, but that's okay. You know, I didn't really, didn't have any doubts and I really was treated with with such great care. Care, yeah. But yes, it was a journey, a tough one. It shaped me to the person that I am today Mm -hmm. and it hasn't, you know, in actual fact, I actually think it's made me into a better person. It's made me realize that, you know, really take life at the best, make most of life, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so the journey of that was, what was it, a year? And, and where are you now in that? Do you have the the all clear? I, I do have the all clear, thank goodness. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, it's a long it's a long journey. It's definitely over a year by the time you really are able to, you know, fully function and, and mm-hmm. go to Antarctica. Yeah. Here was me being ambitious, going, oh, yes, I can go, you know, straight after my surgery. Had you booked and paid for the Antarctica? Oh, yes. So that was already yeah, yeah, done. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really was, you know, ready to go. But of course, you need your medical clearance. Yeah. He's going to ensure you. <laughs> He's going to ensure me exactly. But anyway, yeah, I, I feel very grateful for all the care, and I feel grateful that you know I ha- have an opportunity for a second chance of life. And I know that sounds really serious, but I do also think that we need to talk about it. We need to demystify the taboos of of mm. cancer. We need to support women and men that are going through these things and mm. openly say it's not anything to be ashamed about, right? And the, the hardest thing I think is the mental health component. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've got your surgery, you've got your chemotherapy and your radiation. At the end of the day, it's the mental health that, that needs to be something that needs to be focused on and reinforced. What's well, one thing if you, when you were going through that, that you maybe wished you had more of or you wish someone would have said or done or a situation if you know is there anything that you yeah I think it's that I think it's that ability for support groups there are many now yeah but at that time of course during COVID it was difficult Mm -hmm. um there there were some but now it's become sort of more acceptable it's definitely there's some really great you know networks around foundations government support groups counseling but for me at the time, I don't think it was as available. And that's probably as a result of COVID-19. Mm. So the mental health is something that I think is probably the hardest part as opposed to all of the, the surgical aspects. Yeah. It's yeah. like you can, or the deal, or you can deal with that, but it's the, yeah. the, the fallout of everything exactly. else that kind of comes with exactly. it too. And I guess that's what brought you to kind of us meeting and mm-hmm. the, the, the 5.0 evolution of going, yeah. you know what, I want to work on my personal brand and really bring which your brand before was jungle gen correct which was your blog and everything that you were doing and you've had for sort of the past kind of 10 15 years or so and we're moving 
it to the next level under mm-hmm. your full branded name, which is where all the information about any of the upcoming trips you'll find yes. on it, but also where you'll be positioned, which you are a speaker. You go to many places and speak about climate change, mm-hmm. endangered animals. What really, what was the defining moment for you going, do you know what, I need to take this personal brand to the next level? <sighs> it's a hard one. I, I, exactly that. I think I, you know, have been doing a lot of public speaking. I think the one time that really stood out was when I had the opportunity to launch the Middle East and North Africa chapter of United for Wildlife. Now, United for Wildlife is a baby of Prince William, I guess, of the Royal Foundation. He's very passionate about tackling the illegal wildlife trade. And United for Wildlife has been around and it's set up several chapters in different regions, Mm. um, Hong Kong, Southeast Asia, Africa, and the Middle East and North Africa didn't have a chapter as yet. So I was working with the Royal Foundation team or the United for Wildlife staff to try and set something up, which we managed to then launch at Expo and, and to be given the chance to speak to all of these dignitaries and, you know, speak with authority about the situation of illegal wildlife trade, but then the impact that it has on biodiversity loss, you know, the impact, mm-hmm. as you said, on, on endangered species, bringing that to light and working with the public and private sector for example, the transport task forces, shipping companies, airlines like Emirates or Etihad, you know, they've all signed up to this commitment to mm. combat the illegal wildlife trade. So for me to be given that opportunity to speak on such a huge platform, I guess really sort of made me realize, wow, you know, there's an opportunity for me to even take this further as a public speaker, but also to be that advocate for change and and to I guess, be that freelance person. Yeah. Did you, I seen pictures of the two of you. Did you get the opportunity to speak? I did. I did. I was asked to meet His Royal Highness and he really truly is a a passionate advocate for, for wildlife. I think he's very interested to see with the impact that we're going to have in the region. I'm currently working on some amazing projects, some that I obviously cannot talk about just due to the sensitivities and the confidentiality of it. But it's so great to see that, you know, now I'm able to speak more freely about something I I firmly believe in. I think COP28 that's being hosted Mm -hmm. this year will hopefully also give us that opportunity to link illegal wildlife trade to biodiversity, Mm. but then that nexus to climate change. I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is, again, you know, debunking the myths of climate change is all about decarbonization or net zero. We need to take a much more of a holistic look and approach to this and look at the way that we're living our lives every day, the Mm -hmm. impact that we're having on wildlife, on ecosystems, and how that actually, you know, impacts climate change. What would you be, what would you say to someone then that's listening to this and going, Mm -hmm. I want to make a bit of an impact, or I want to start making an impact, and how do I instill this into my children? What can they be doing? Because it seems so vast. It is so vast. It, and this is, the, this is some of the problems, right? It mm. does become quite like, well, I'm one person. What can I do? Yeah. And is it going, really going to make a difference? Yes. And it does. I mm. think when you think about it, individual action becomes a collective impact, right? If we all, but if we all took that approach of, oh, I'm just one person, what does it matter? Yeah. Then we might as well just give up. And yeah. I, I'm on the opposite side of saying, well, you know, each individual action can make huge differences. So everyone can make um, conscious decisions and it could start with, you know, how much we drive, maybe taking a bit more of a healthy approach and, you know, cycle. Okay. Maybe not here because of the heat, but it also comes with the choices that we make in the supermarket, you know, the foods that we eat, then we consume, understanding where our food comes from, making sure that we don't have excessive food waste, 
all of that actually has a direct impact on on climate change. Mm. But but also, you know, the way that we we treat the environment. And I, I think that's the problem. It's not just about, okay, I've now, you know, resorted to solar panels on my roof or, you know, I've got, I've got a, an eco-friendly a, car. Eco-friendly or, car. Yeah. There's implications with that as well, right? Because obviously where are those batteries coming from? It has to come from a resource somewhere. So I guess taking more of that circular economy awareness and approach also makes a huge difference, understanding where things come from. Mm. But, and, and where's the education in that though? I mean, cause that's, you know, if you think about it, okay, in school, but are they doing enough in schools? Mm-hmm. And then what about those that have missed out on that part? Like, what can they do? Well, there's so many great initiatives. I mean, one mm. of the reasons why I came to the UAE and worked for Emirates Nature WWF was in fact to set up this amazing youth education program, which we called Connect With Nature, which was to encourage youth from the UAE to, I guess, get out into nature. So using technology. So we created an app to see, you know, the beauty that this amazing country has to offer, but to find out about its biodiversity, to find out about, you know, cleanups, mangroves, ecosystems, you name it. I think through all of that, that's evolved in this focus of youth playing a significant role in in these COPs. So the COP this year has a huge focus and, and theme dedicated to youth's voices and ensuring that we leave a planet for future generations to come. And we have to support our children and our youth in order to become the leaders of tomorrow, right? Mm. So I, I look forward to hopefully playing that part again in this upcoming COP. I mean, you see it firsthand mm-hmm. in terms of like right in front of you, what the state of the, the planet yeah. is like. I mean, are you scared? Well, a little bit concerned. Yeah. I think there's still, it's not irreversible. Okay. But I think by us focusing on the 1.5, you know, that can be so far away, a target that's so unachievable because mm. we're just focusing on the numbers. As you said, you know, how does an everyday family think about how do I reduce the planet to 1.5 warming? I think what we need to think about is, you know, all the individual changes we can make. For example, it also starts with plastic pollution, right? So when you go to the beach, when you go to the park to actually take your rubbish with you, not expect someone else to do to do that job, you know, yeah. we need to be much more mindful of the actions that we take and also set a great example for our children so yeah. that they can follow and model on our behaviors. It's just that whole plastic bit that you say they are mm-hmm. and taking the responsibility. Yeah. So um, last year was hosting a masterclass and I do this monthly for clients, mm-hmm. which you've actually been along to. Mm-hmm. I told the story actually in it about the you plastic did. bottles. You did. Yeah. But this is a perfect example of actually going and taking responsibility. So to set the scene, there's 12 people that come to the masterclass each month. I always order teas and coffees and waters yes. and the coffee shop always bring me bottled water. It's always what they have done. And I never questioned it, that it was plastic bottles. And it wasn't till someone, I posted a picture on Instagram, someone commented on the picture on Instagram <laughs> going, as people do, oh, really like what you're doing. Shame about all the plastic bottles. Now I had naively not considered that because I had put the, the third party blame, I guess you could say, onto the coffee shop going, well, they delivered it. And then all I needed to do was say, do you have glass bottles or can you bring me in a jug and we'll just use the glasses? And ever since then, they've done that. Mm -hmm. That one person who questioned me and I was like, okay, what can I do has stopped. And I was tiny in comparison, but I do monthly, monthly classes. That's 12 bottles. So over the course of a year, we're talking what, 150 bottles of water? Exactly that I could have easily not have done. So I guess that's for anyone that's listening going, if you've got a plastic bottle in your hand, 
why <laughs> exactly and what else can we be doing to and change, change this? can happen you know mm. like us making that change that you did by just saying look you know i don't want to have that plastic bottle can i have it in a jug you multiply that by other people that are trying to do the same it's going to have a huge impact and yes you know people say it's you know responsibility of the producer or the manufacturer i think the responsibility lies with all of us yeah it's very easy to put blame on others. At the end of the day, we really are responsible for our own actions, our own choices. So I think, yeah, just being more mindful of yeah, our behaviors and our actions. I really believe that sustainability needs to be part of your personal brand. Because I think that in some degree, if you don't, I think that's showcasing in your values. Sure. If, you're not, if you're not having an interest in the environment going forward, what does that say? about you yeah. as a person and no. I think that actually has a knock-on effect in your personal brand if you're not doing something to show that you care yeah no I, I agree I agree yeah. I think sustainability is sort of now part and parcel of our everyday vocabulary right it's, mm. it's something that we all it's it's not even a word it's a lifestyle yeah so yeah very yeah. true so what's next for you in terms of kind of projects ones that you can d- talk about is there sure. any that you're yes of course So I do, I mean, I am now a freelance consultant and I work on a couple of projects. One of them is actually quite interesting. It is about the donkey skins trade. I wasn't sure I could bring that up. Yeah, no, that one's actually, uh, and obviously I'm working on other species that are impacted by trade. I just can't really mention some of those projects, but this one I can. And the reason why this is so, so personal and one that I really care about is because donkeys don't really get the attention that they deserve. No, they don't. No, they don't. And And actually, so I consult to the Donkey Sanctuary based out of the UK, but we have, um, you know, like field offices all around the world. And the donkeys are getting completely hammered in terms of their population as a result for their skins. Now, those skins are then used to be made into traditional medicine called Ijiao. So the skins are boiled and the collagen is extracted to be made into a block, which is then used as a tonic for drinking sometimes made into beauty products. And I guess it's like anything, you know, the same could be said with rhino horn or pangolin scales, this belief system, not scientifically proven, but a belief system that certain animal parts and derivatives will increase your ability for virility, fertility, whatever it might be, make you look younger. I mean, you know. And is that, like, that is illegal to do that with, with donkeys? Well, it is not legal per se, because at the moment, donkeys are not getting the recognitions that they deserve because they're not considered as wildlife. However, Uh. they're a working animal. So in Africa, in South America, in a lot of South Asian countries, donkeys are a form of transport to carry water. They're also a form of economic livelihood for for women particularly. So Mm. it really gives them that, that ability to, you know, have a role in society. You take that away, so the donkeys are stolen, um, you take them away, you suddenly take away the ability for families to put food on the table, to send yeah. their kids to school. So it has implications that all the way. Effect. Exactly, uh. a knock-on effect with us being able to achieve the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. So even though a donkey might not be given the attention that it deserves for many reasons, the reality is it has a ripple effect all the way down to you know society, societal impact. I suppose with these, do you ever get to the end of a project mm-hmm. or are all these things that you're working on something that is just ongoing? 
No, I, I, there is an end, and obviously, huge. I, I like to think that the impact has been positive and 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 great. But I mean, unfortunately, in the in the field that I'm working in, it is a little bit ongoing. Yeah. Because we need to make some conscientious changes. I think illegal wildlife trade is not something people talk about openly. You know, some people have exotic pets that they think is actually you know and they care for them. But again, it's it's understanding where did that animal come from? Does it actually need to be in my living room or house? (laughs) Exactly. You know, Um, this is not a criticism. I know people care about wildlife, but, you know, it does have a direct impact on the ecosystems where they came from. Mm. Well, there's so much that I could talk about. I feel like we could could keep going on and on and on, but I need to to bring it to to a wrap at one point. But before I do, I wanted to ask a couple of quick fire questions. Here I've got some cards. These are sort of a re- fairly relatively new edition. Okay. Do you want to pick a couple? Pick one and Ooh. then you can answer it. And um, that sorry, angle. Switch <laughs> I'm over. Over. Thank Wait. you. How many? Do you want to pick two? Sure. And then. Okay. I make too big of a deal about. <laughs> Not wearing lipstick in the jungle. <laughs> uh, sometimes I do, you know, maybe the whole eco sustainability aspect can take over some of the conversations in my life. So maybe, maybe I, you know, I need to, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure about that one. Do you, you feel it? In, it is, is that what I'm, yeah, I yeah, feel like sometimes you. I can talk and talk and talk about sustainability or conservation. So maybe at times, you know, we need to just keep it real as well and just go. <laughs> well, that's honest. That's honest. Yes, it's honest. Ooh, I'm most competitive when it comes to, well, Kelly, I have just started to play paddle tennis. <laughs> <laughs> So I have actually seen my competitive streak come out again, you know, and for, again, for a couple of years, I haven't been able to do so many things. I'm yeah. quite competitive, but in a, you know, good sport. Yeah. But I've noticed that in this particular game, I, uh, yeah. Comp- I hear my- a lot about it. Yes, it's amazing. So we'll have to have a hit. But yes, that's probably. <laughs> probably. Is that the terminology? Yes. We have to have a hit. We'll have to have a hit. Yeah, is that what it is? When you uh, say you maybe that's very Aussie. Oh, we'll, need to have a, we'll need to have a game. Okay, cool. Right, go and pick one more, one more, okay, and then we'll call right, it a right. day. Poignant. If I could see into the future, I would want to know the state of the world, the natural world. Yeah. Yeah, the state of the natural world. I'm a firm believer that nature is able to bounce back without us mm-hmm. if we leave it you know, in peace, as it's been shown, but we won't be able to survive without nature. So I would like to see how, how we would thrive or survive without nature being, you know, a provider. That's a perfect one to end on. It is. So how can people find out about you? Do you want to share your new website? That, uh, uh, yes, can, my uh, new website will be launching soon. It is uh, com. They can contact me on my Instagram mm-hmm. at jennifercrose and my LinkedIn as well. So mm-hmm. I would really uh, love to hear from the listeners. I would love to connect. I'm a firm believer of collaborations. Mm-hmm collective impact so be very open to discussing how people can work together with me or with us Mm -hmm. i love that thank you so much for your time being part of this there's so (laughs) many more questions i wanted to ask what color is your lipstick (laughs) Uh, yeah i think it's this sort of tangerine well you got a number have you got like a go-to like a chanel or a tom ford Um, or a well this is a bit of uh product place mac Ah, okay, nice. What would be red, is it? Or is no, that... this one is a new one. It's one of those, you know, limited editions. Ah, <laughs> limited edition. I really get into them and then they go and it's like, oh. That's exactly, well, that is the problem. I'm, this is one of my faves at the moment. I won't be able to find it again. Can we like stop filing them all? <laughs> Thank you so much. You're it was welcome. brilliant. Really Thanks, good. Kelly. 
Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time. Bye.